think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 369 of Low Limit Football on this 9th of October, 2022. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Julian Lopetegui is sacked at Sevilla with Jorge Sampaoli coming in as the new manager. Dimitri Payet becomes the first player in legal and history to score 100 goals and 100 assists. It's decision day in MLS. We're going to give you a list of matches to watch out for today. And we are halfway through the Champions League group stages. We'll discuss the winners and losers with our special guest, Nico DeGaio, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? Doing well, Joe. Doing well. Obviously, you know, it's, it's very interesting to... To really go into, like I said, you know, kind of in World Cup mood, you know, we're getting our shows out of the way. We're obviously very excited to to release all 32, uh, basically, episodes um, to the listening public. And I'm, I've, I've been enjoying it, but also, you know, there's been club football to, to see. And obviously, like you mentioned, in MLS, it's decision day. So we're getting right into the nitty gritty of the of the MLS Cup playoffs. And that's always a, a fun thing to to always look on yeah usually the uh the team that wins the supporter shield isn't necessarily a team that wins mls cup uh we'll see if lafc can become that team and and do that i think the last time that happened was toronto fc was able to pull that feat off um i'd have to double check my notes on that but uh but yeah it's it's exciting times there um you know some a good run in mls going on right now and we've got like you said 42 days until the world cup so we are finishing up those uh those interviews um we plan to have out the the podcast starting probably in the, sometime in the next couple of weeks. We want to get everything out definitely before the World Cup starts. Um, and they're going to be roughly hour-long podcasts, so you're going to need to have some time to digest them. And, uh, and, and so, you know, we'll get those out to you soon. Uh, and looking forward to it as, uh, as we head into a winter, which is never a fun time, but um, certainly a... A warm, uh, a warm lining to this winter, I think, is uh, is the best way to describe it. With the World Cup in Qatar coming up, so 
let's um let's jump right into it, man. We've got a pretty full show, uh, and it is my turn to give you a trivia question. So if you're ready, um, yeah, I, go for it. All right. So Lionel Messi uh, this week became uh, scored uh, a goal against the 40th different club in Champions League. Uh, can you give me, I'm, I'm going to go with it this way. I can, I can ask this question two ways. Um, you know, I'm going to ask both versions of the question. You can give it to me either way. Can you give me the top five teams that he scored the most goals against? And, um, there are 11 teams that he's only scored one goal, but there are three teams in the top five leagues in that bunch. Can you give me the three teams that he's only scored one goal against in the top five leagues in, uh, in Europe? Okay, okay. I think so I can. I, I want a top five, and then I want three names uh, at the end of the top of it. So you got to give me eight teams. Sounds good. All right. Let's, uh, we'll give you the answer to that question at the end of the show. Let's get into opening thoughts. And opening thoughts is the new FIFA rankings were released this week. Um, you know, and when the draw came out for the World Cup, for the 2022 World Cup, we, we, we always like to look at the groups and say, okay, this is the group of death. That is the group of death. I know some of us have said Group G with Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, Cameroon. Um, I think uh, some of us have looked at Group E with Spain, Germany being the two big ones there with Japan and Costa Rica bringing up the rear. Uh, Group H, uh, you know, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay and South Korea are are also uh, a group that people have pointed to. But uh, according to the FIFA rankings, we have a new group of death. The group of death, Group B, England, Iran, USA and Wales. All four teams are currently ranked in the top 20 in the FIFA World Rankings. We start out uh, with with the rankings here. I'm just going to give it to you quickly. England is currently ranked number five. We go down to the United States at 16, and then we have Wales at 19 and Iran at 20. Given also the the performances of these teams leading into the World Cup, um, where Iran has performed fairly well, and uh, the England, England, the Welsh, and the USA have kind of laid an egg uh, in their preparations leading into the World Cup. It makes the the group for me a little more intriguing moving forward because it just shows you how tight knit this group can be. What were your thoughts on the FIFA rankings? I think we'll we'll start to break them down a little bit in a moment. But what are your thoughts on how this uh, plays into the World Cup? Maybe with Group B being the uh, the group of death now. Yeah, it's it's interesting to say this because I think obviously yes, the FIFA rankings can be a bit skeptical for anyone that could that does indeed um, go freely take a lot of attention to it, and and some people may also feel a bit um, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe they get into it a lot, and so they they might stress about it. But I think mm-hmm. you know this group was always going to be open for for the United States. I think we knew that. Even when the draw was made, because we knew that England were, you know, our England, they're they're going to come out and they're always going to be as strong as they are. Wales obviously is a side with a lot of talented players, and Iran is that wild card really. So I think the group was was open and and maybe even a group of that at the time when the draw was announced. But now I think with these FIFA rankings, I mean, yeah, you kind of have to say that with the four teams in the top twenty, you gotta you gotta include them in that. So. It just, I just hope that maybe, and I think the players are smart enough from all four countries that, you know, they won't put that into consideration about either being more nervous or more confident or anything along those lines. Because I think, you know, these teams are, are, are out there with the same objective to go win and to perform well at the World Cup. And 
And I think that should be the, the way to go moving forward. Yeah. Um, top five right now in the FIFA World Rankings, Brazil number one, Belgium number two, Argentina number three, France number four, England number five. Do they have it right? Uh, yeah. You think so? I I don't. I, I just think because Belgium's always been there. It's so This is my argument. Belgium hasn't won anything. They they've won nothing. They had they had a Euro in front of them. They lost. Um, you know they they've been to the World Cup. This team they've lost. They've won nothing. Uh, France. I guess I guess I guess you could move. Nations League. They've they've won nothing. You know France at least has won the Nations League. France is the defending World Cup champion. I think France should be well up there. Uh, Argentina beat Brazil for the Copa America. Why is Brazil one and Argentina three? Argentina's on. A, a record run. They're challenging Italy's record for most matches unbeaten right now. Why Why is Argentina only three? Do you know what I'm saying? Th- those are the things for me. Um, England, you, you know, England, it's funny. Eng- England performed well at the Euros, but England just got relegated from the Nations League. So number five, I mean, but at the same time, right behind them at six is Italy, Italy's the defending European champions. They uh, they won their group and they're going to the semifinals of the Nations League again, um, but they never qualified for the World Cup. So I don't know if Italy's in the right spot, if they're too high or too low. So, it, you know, that's... And even if we want to go even further, Roberto, I'm, I'm going to go one more spot. If you break it down just to CONCACAF, the, the top-ranked CONCACAF side is Mexico at 13, and the U.S. beat them in Nations League, the U.S. beat them in the Gold Cup, um, the U.S. beat them in World Cup qualifying. Um, in this last round. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, how is Mexico ranked ahead of the U S um, especially this U S this Mexican side where, where many would say this is certainly a down team. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it, again, like I said, you know, the, mm-hmm. these world rankings, they, they can be kind of a, they could be a bit of a smoke screen sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, they could indeed make a team better than they are or, or worse than they are as well. So, mm-hmm. I, that's the thing about it. I, I don't know if I should really take it into consideration. Yeah, as much as it should. Last, uh, last point I'm going to make in the top twenty of the World FIFA rankings, two teams will not be at the World Cup: uh, Italy, ranked number six, and Colombia at number seventeen. Um, with that in mind, do you think the idea of expanding to forty-eight teams coming up for the twenty twenty-six World Cup? is a good idea because you probably will get these two teams in plus maybe a few others, um, maybe Peru at 23 or Sweden at 25. Um, you know, even I start to think about Norway, which I'm looking for them right now on the rankings, uh, 42nd with Erling Holland, um, maybe gets his opportunity. Do you think that expanding this side, expanding to the, this size of a world cup, uh, in 2026 is, is good at this point because there's so much quality, throughout the world um, because the game has developed as we've gone along the way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But there are also some, some teams as well that might be maybe not worth it in a way. No, I'm not saying not worth it, but maybe not as, as good as one would say, mm-hmm. but if you get what I'm saying, so yeah, that might, that might get in that don't deserve to get in because yeah, of the region it. they play well, in. And, and that's, that's always the case. But again, that, that's, that's the beauty of soccer. It's like, you know, mm. That that's that's just how it works, really. Yeah. For some something like this. I, no, I I agree. I think uh, 
I think having that opportunity for some of those teams, you know, where, where they've let's say they're on the rise, right? I mean, I don't think the U.S. goes on their run of World Cups unless they have the success in '90. Um, you know, where they whether they traveled, they they made it to the World Cup in Italy, they host in '94, and then really just shoots off from there. I don't think you see that that building and that development in U.S. soccer unless those things happen. And I think. You know, coming into it for let's say let, let's say in Norway, right, where um, women's team is incredibly successful. Um, they are talented, but obviously playing in in UEFA in in Europe uh, is certainly such a gauntlet to to qualify in. That I think that you know a team like that, uh, you know, or a nation like that can really t- go to that next level if if they get an opportunity. So I think that's where you know some of the some of the thirty to fifty ranked teams in this in this ranking will probably get that kind of look in 2026 and it might actually spur even bigger growth in, in the game moving forward because those the eyeballs will be on those teams the eyeballs will be on those talents and uh and, and certainly it'll expand from there that's at least my opinion what are your thoughts on that yeah yeah i agree i think um i think it definitely will will set the precedence and i think you know i, I hopefully and i think there's only been what eight countries that have won the World Cup, so hopefully, mm-hmm. it only increases the competition and then really makes things difficult for all the countries. Because I think, yeah. you know, going to a World Cup is not for everyone. You know this. Right. I mean, there's what 200 nations in in all of FIFA, and only 32. Well, it's going to be 48 in four years' time have the chance to do it. Mm-hmm. That's uh, it's an honor. Yeah. And, you, yeah. and Joe, you know this, given the fact that we've seen our countries qualify to World Cups and not qualify for World Cups. So yeah. we know how difficult it can be. Absolutely. You know, for me, I, I'm, I'm excited because uh, I've, I've always got a soft spot for African football. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, not having teams like Egypt uh, at the World Cup, not having teams like Nigeria at the World Cup or the Ivory Coast at the World Cup this year, um, I think it, those teams getting bigger opportunities, I think, will, will do wonders for expanding the game. Definitely. Yeah, so... Let's um, you know, let's t- obviously this is this is fodder for for argument for sure from FIFA, um, and they love to release this right before the World Cup. So, you know, I'm sure people will be talking about it, you know, for weeks leading up and into the World Cup. And again, you know, like to mention to everybody that our World Cup previews are coming up in the next couple of weeks. You'll see them posted on our Twitter page. Um, you know, obviously follow us on. On Twitter, you can also uh, subscribe to Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to Spotify for us um, and get the podcasts there as well. As they come out, you'll see them pop up. Um, so definitely subscribe to those feeds as well, and you'll see those come up in a little bit. But let's table our discussion of FIFA and the World Cup as, uh, as like I said, 42 days until we get there. And let's go back to club football uh, because that's coming out as fast and furious. We were previously joined by Nico DeGaio to discuss Champions League as they uh, have gone to the halfway point of the group stages. We've discussed the winners, the losers, and with Nico's beloved Man City, we got to discuss Erling Holland, Manchester City and their performance, especially leading into the big match coming up now uh, this coming weekend against Liverpool. So without further ado, the Nico de Gallo interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football, actually returning to us after what's been quite a long time, Nico de Gallo. Nico, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you. We want to kind of start off by looking back on Champions League. We are halfway through the group stages. There have been some ups, there have been some downs, um, some stars and some duds. What are your, um, your kind of your take as to the, the big upside, the teams that have impressed you the most or the players that have impressed you the most and the ones that have been most disappointing to you so far after uh, three rounds of uh, match play? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much to Joe and Roberto, guys, for, for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Um, it's been a pretty interesting and fun rematch weeks so far in the Champions League, as it really always is. It's never not uh, exciting and fun. But, you know, honestly, you can't not look at where everyone stands and absolutely laud what Napoli is doing. Um, it, it's not just that they're top a pretty tricky group. It's, it's how they're doing it. 13 goals scored two conceded and obviously I'm going to butcher this but you have to give it a try Icha Clara Kashvelia Kashvelia I think yeah, yeah we're all still working on that one we've got to come up with some nickname I, I don't know what but something that's a little easier but he, he's just been an absolute delight this is a, a team that's undergone a transformation and I don't think anyone was really expecting them to have not just the Champions League season, having the domestic side as well. Uh, so, so credit to Spalletti and his, and his men for going out here and really taking the first three matches by storm. And then another one you're going to point to is, is Club Bruja as well. Uh, they haven't conceded a goal yet. Uh, the only other teams who can say they've done that are Bayern Munich. They're the only one. So, um, you know, Porto, Leverkusen, and Atleti, you could have seen them potentially make some noise. I don't think any of us saw them being, you know, a top with nine points, a six-point gap, and an almost perfect goal difference. So, you know, those are the two squads that stick out to me in terms of surprises. But obviously, you can't not love what Manchester City and Real Madrid kind of have done so far uh, as well. And, and Bayern, too. So, um, you know, so far, it's been pretty exciting. And obviously, I think what's really been exciting to see is, of course, Manchester City and them qualifying, um, you know, and, and doing so well so far. And I think, you know, the fact that they've been spotless and we'll talk about the Premier League in a bit. But obviously, looking at the Champions League and sticking on that, obviously, 11 goals for them, one goal conceded. And that was against Borussia Dortmund when they had to come back um, to win 2-1. And, you know, I just wanted to ask you really, Nico, on this side and, you know, this really kind of takes into kind of the Premier League question as well is you look at the city side and I think, you know, the side is obviously talented. We know what it's like for them to to compete in this competition. It's always been kind of that that kryptonite, you would say, of them trying to win it because that's always been the main goal for them. I mean, you know, they can win all the Premier Leagues and domestic ups all they want, but they want to win this. And that this has always been their ambition as we kind of always speak about every year. But you have now obviously a a rapid and, and insane goal scorer in early Holland, which we'll talk about in a bit. But just looking at this side as a whole, do you feel as if though it really is complete that they can indeed really stand out above everyone else in the in all of Europe to win this Champions League? Or do you still see some weaknesses out there that maybe just say, mm, I'm not convinced as of yet that they can do something? Yeah, it's 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 really hard to especially as a Man City fan to look at what's been going on and come up with something to be worried about, right? Uh, I would say from top to bottom, I feel really confident. Uh, a little bit questioning going into the season with some defensive injuries and some question marks. Uh, but bringing in a kanji and how well Nathan Ake has played has basically given us you know, so many good center backs to be able to provide a rotation if the defenders go down. It's It's been perfect. I would say the only uh, thing that concerns me a bit is there have been 15 to 20 minute periods where they let off. Uh, you saw it in the Villa game where, where they went down. You saw it in the Newcastle game where they went down. Uh, and you obviously saw it towards the end of the Manchester Derby where they kind of let the foot off the gas. 
now, easy to let your foot off the gas when you're six one up, and you know when you're a team like Man City, you feel confident being down two goals in the first half, which is kind of wild to say. But all in all, it's it's almost perfect. But you kind of love to see them either just kill teams off or not get themselves in any hole. Could be tough against teams, uh, other good prem teams as well as in the Champions League. That's the only thing that it really is. is a, guess you could say blemish at this point. That's about it. I guess the only blemish you could really say is that they're not first in this case only by one point because of the the draw against Philip. But, you know, looking at it as a whole, and I'm just looking at their schedule here real quick. I mean, you know, they have some opponents that, you know, more or less they should be able to beat all of them with the exception of a Liverpool and maybe even a Brighton, given the fact of how good their season has been so far, you know, right now in fourth place. I mean, you know... Was is this the best thing that City could have asked for before the the midseason break for the World Cup? Because certainly a lot of these players, especially on City's end, who will want to to be on that World Cup squad and be in the best position to play in the World Cup and and be as fit. But you know, as a City fan, how do you assess? I guess these last, well, not last, but these next um, you know six games before the uh, the World Cup, really, and how they really pair out against everyone else in in the Premier League. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, I honestly, we obviously have the Liverpool game next Sunday. Uh, and then you look kind of the only other league game that might stand out would be that Brighton game. Outside of that, lots of winnable league games uh, from here till the break. You know, at the end of the day, I feel very confident that they'll win the league. I don't see another team that can keep up with them. I don't see another team that can get above 88 to 90 points uh, this season. But Listen, that Brighton game is going to be a lot trickier than people think. I'm actually a little bit more concerned about the Brighton game than the Liverpool game on paper, right? Brighton's a team that's hard to break down. I know that they've got a new manager. Listen, the players are still there. They've responded well since Aaron Potter has left. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm not scared of Liverpool. I very much am. But the way the two teams are playing, I feel a little bit more confident, I guess, matching up against them, of course, in the 90 minutes at Anfield, anything can happen. And I'm not walking in there expecting a blowout. But something about that Brighton team, every now and then you'll see these teams in the Premier League who are just built to be hard to break down, hard to beat. They'll force you into draws. They'll either press you well or they'll, they'll sit so well in low blocks. And it's actually been typically the types of teams that the city have struggled against more often than not in the last few years but overall it's not a t- it's not a too tough of a run in uh until that until that break that's for sure now obviously all eyes are really on one norwegian and no it's not martin odegaard in england but it's erling holland because obviously i think we all are absolutely amazed at how great he's been so far. Um, you know i think it's uh it would be doing an injustice to say that he's been flawless really because he's been more than that i mean 19 goals in 12 games i mean he's he's running away with the golden boot the ratio is you know he's not even just running away with a golden boot but he might indeed run away with that record title is it like 36 goals or something by mo salah i think he's really in that position to do that but you know i don't think it's the case of you know if he'll stop scoring but just when and i think that i'll pose that question to you nico is because i think it's going to be interesting to see how Pep really utilizes his rotation. And I think, in my estimate, and in my opinion, I think the run of games that he has left, which I think he'll definitely score in if in most, if not all of them, at least once. But I think also, because of the fact that Norway 
is not going to the World Cup, meaning that Erling Holland can have that break. So I guess my question to you is, are we still not seeing the best of Holland as of yet? I mean, is there, what I'm saying is like, can he even be better than what we've already been seeing so far um, at the start of the season? such an interesting question because we're just in uncharted waters right now. You know, like this is, we don't know how far this rocket ship can go. Right. Uh, and like you said, he'll have a month off while most of the other players in the Premier League, at least a lot of the marquee players, uh, won't, right. They're going to be grinding through matches, potentially picking up injuries, which obviously no one wants. Uh, but for a guy like Holland, who's struggled with injuries in his career, kind of everywhere he's been, you couldn't ask for a better situation, getting basically a month off in the middle of the season to relax, rest the legs. And if, God forbid, he does pick up any injuries or knocks over the next coming month or month and a half before the up, he'll have that time to recover right before kind of what will be a crazy run of fixtures. So, but in, in terms of can he get better, I guess, yeah. I don't, you know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, he, he, I mean, I guess the only thing really is I, I saw a stat saying that, you know, if he has the best season by a, a player in, in Europe ever, and that was from Lionel Messi when he scored, what, 70 odd goals in a season. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, the main thing is forget the golden boot, forget all those records. I think, honestly, and Joe, I'd like you to, you know, dive into this. Yeah. I think Erling Holland can easily get 60 70 goals in all competitions this season i, I mean i i do too I, I really do i think i thought messi had somewhere when you include the national team i think that one year he had like 90 yeah 91 um, in 2012 in the whole year alone i don't know how many hollands had in this year but if you look at a season it's 73 yeah and that was in the 2011-12 season but and, i i think holland has a really good shot of breaking that because it's just been he's been good so far. Well, he's he's also got the right pieces around him. You know, he's got guys like Kevin De Bruyne that can that can feed him the ball in spots. But but the man is also fast enough and quick enough of foot to make to create his own goals. I mean, he does both things. And and really, when you look at Manchester City over the past couple of years, this was the piece they were missing. The big, true number nine. Uh, and, and, and now that they go get it and a guy like Erling Holland. There's there's almost no stopping them. Uh, you know, I'm going to throw it back to you, Nico, because that's the way I see it. And I think you make a great point, too, that if, you know, God forbid he picks up some kind of knock here in the next three or four weeks, um, you know, I don't think it hurts City's chances of moving through the Champions League. But uh, but it would give him time to heal over that over that break for the World Cup and, and come back even stronger than ever. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's at the end of the day, when you play for a club like Man City, you play a club like Liverpool you're going to be playing 50 to 60 games. That's just a ridiculous number. Luckily, I think City's really kind of stressed and had an importance on adding depth in key areas, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but you're going to have to rotate him out. You're going to have to rest him. And I think I'd be very nervous if he had to play in this World Cup um, because of the fact that he can't be rested from now until kind of the end of the season. And you don't want to sit the guy out. I mean, he's a walking goal machine. Put it in perspective what he's doing right now. Last year in the Premier League, uh, Kevin De Bruyne led Man City in goals at 15. That's a full season, folks. Mm. Erling Holland, through what, eight matches, currently has 14. So, you, you know, this guy is like, you almost have to play him every game. Obviously, City won't and they can't. But <laughs> having that month is just going to be incredible for him. There's going to be three games in seven days very often from the 
months of January to, to May. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly where he stands before the break uh, and what he can do after. Obviously, to everyone in the league, I hope everyone stays healthy. But I think from a neutral, unbiased perspective, we all hope early Holland can have healthy so we can see where this is going. And I guess another follow-up, and I think this really pertains to another player that I think is in a really interesting situation. And, you know, I think with someone like Julian Alvarez, obviously, who came in from City and obviously had, I think, a lot of, you know, a big chip on his shoulder because of what he was able to perform in Argentina. I think from what I've been able to see, you know, for someone that's considered an understudy to Holland, getting four goals and 10 appearances and a couple of assists, I think is is pretty good, to say the least, especially when you're, I mean, it's it, it's easy, I think, when you say, when you can say that on, on the city side, but I'm curious to see what you think of in Alvarez's situation and really just, you know, his understanding of being that kind of understudy to Holland. And, you know, they could play together. I mean, we've seen that in the Champions League. We also saw that sometimes in the Premier League. So I just want your thoughts on where this leaves someone like Julian Alvarez, who basically is his understudy, but could also not be as well. Yeah, and I know, Roberto, you and I have talked about Julian Alvarez a lot together. Um, and, and, you know, you were always telling me, hey, this guy's going to be a real stud for you guys. And you, know, you were sending me all these clips, and that was just, it kept getting me more and more hyped over this guy. But somehow, being in the shadows of all these headlines about Man City, somehow Alvarez has exceeded my expectations. He doesn't look like a young kid who just moved from Argentina to the Premier League. And, and it's just, you know, he's not wide eyed. He doesn't look overwhelmed. He looks ready for the moment. Maybe it's nice that Holland's taking a lot of the shine and allows him to operate a little bit under the radar. If you have so many star players around you, you're not going to have the attention on the field as much from, from opposing players. But my God, is this kid going to be incredible? Uh, you could see why City rejected every possible loan offer uh, when he came over. Because they want him in this lineup. They want to play him as much as possible. It's really how he blossoms uh, both as a lone striker when Holland isn't in the 11, or even as a wider player, or even up top with Holland in, in case that does happen, which it just proves to show how many players Pep and City kind of board can bring in that can be so versatile and, and really uh, complement the rest of the squad. I, I can't stress enough how just easy he's kind of flown in there. You just don't see that often. It's kind of been really, really impressive. Uh, from this standpoint. So Argentina's got, they've got a guy, that's for sure. So Nico, I, I want to circle back around to um, to the Champions League to close things out here. Uh, you know, we talked about Erling Holland and his success. I think he's doubled up Harry Kane in uh, the goal-scoring race in England. He's currently ahead of Leroy Sané and a few others in the goal-scoring race for the Champions League as well. Odds are he's going to probably finish with plenty of golden boots to spare. Um, but I want to go back and look at some of the disappointments so far. And, you know, just looking through the standings and the performances, uh, the, the teams that come to mind for me right now are Atletico Madrid, uh, currently sitting dead last in Group B. They've, they've only scored two goals, um, lost uh, this week to Club Brugge uh, 2-0, um, which, I mean, I know Club Brugge has been on an incredible start. They haven't conceded a goal yet. Uh, they're kind of a disappointment to me. I, you know, I want to look at... Um, Sevilla, who just fired uh, Julian Lopetegui and uh, brought on Jorge Sampaoli. Uh, we'll see what happens there because Sampaoli is, is, is literally Bielsa Jr. when it comes on, down to it. So that's interesting. Juve have been lackluster both uh, on the Champions League and in the um, and in league as well with with their 
performance over Maccabi this week, there were there were moments where you looked like Juve might actually give this up at home. And um, and the draw between PSG and Benfica really is bad for Juve in terms of being able to overtake Benfica in the next round of, of matches uh, coming up when they do the return legs. Um, I, I want to include AC Milan and Barcelona in that group as well, but I'm just not prepared to do that as yet. So let's look at the three, Atleti, um, uh, I'm sorry, Atleti, uh, we talked about Juve, and we talked about Sevilla. Who of the three have been most disappointing to you so far in this Champions League? I, listen, uh, Sevilla, obviously, again, Mad City fan here. I've, I've seen them play a lot within City is in. In terms of the eye test, I haven't seen a Sevilla team play this poorly, look this abject in a while. That first half against Dortmund, Dortmund didn't even look like they had to try to go up 3 nothing. It was, you could tell Lopetegui, but potentially, I mean, it was already set in stone, but I'm shocked he didn't get out in that second half. Mm. Um, uh, but, you know, honestly, I think Sevilla, in terms of the eye test, does, does not look good. Uh, and they look like to be, in my opinion, in the most trouble in terms of mathematical perspective. Five points back of having to qualify with two teams that are just, just much better than you. In terms of Juve, they haven't looked very good on the eye test either, but they have the quality to beat teams, right? A uh, little bit kind of a chaotic situation with Allegri. Doesn't seem like he's the right guy. Can't get rid of him. So it's kind of they're going to have to figure it out. I think that, that they can do it, but that Benfica team, not one to overlook, and it's a really tough place to play, as we saw uh, against PSG. But I'm going to round out with Atletico Madrid. Uh, I think Atleti will be more. You look at the, the math in this group, they are tied on points with Porto and Leverkusen, only behind uh, on uh, because of Port differential for Leverkusen. So, uh, you know, one game could put them right back into the driver's seat, uh, and it looks like they've got a little bit more weight. So, you know, if, if I'm a, a Sevilla fan, if I'm a Juve fan, uh, I would be greatly uh, concerned about the prospects of, of, of what's ahead. Uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm sitting right now myself with the with the Juve part. Um, I was going to throw Barcelona in there, but I'm not entirely prepared to yet. Obviously, some some real tough luck, maybe some dodgy VAR uh, decisions against Inter this week. But, you know, Barca have been been very, very tough all the way through so far, winning their first match against Victoria Pilsen. 5-1. They've shown that they can score. They've got Robert Lewandowski there. Would you put Barcelona in that group with, with Atleti, with Sevilla, with Juventus? Or do you think that they're kind of a step ahead and can still have a good shot at advancing in this group? It's tough because I like Barcelona's quality. I think that they're a, a, a great team. It was always going to be one of these three teams, Inter, Bayern, and Barca. That was going to be the odd man out, right? Mm-hmm. And it's never going to be easy when you're in that position. Uh, a little bit of that group of death idea. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see what they can do to try to turn it around. It's going to have to play Inter. You're going to have to play Bayern at the tail end of this schedule. I think they can do it, but having that three-point hole is going to be tough. Uh, they're going to need wins. aren't easy wins. Out. So it'll be very interesting to see. I've been very, very... They've outperformed my expectations even after they signed Lewandowski. I didn't really buy into clicking perfectly. Obviously, Xavi's had a lot of question marks. Um, so it was a little bit questionable. But, hey, 
they've been playing a lot better than I thought. And I think it's just going to come down to can they come up with those big wins eventually against Inter and Iron No doubt about it. No doubt. Nico, thank you again for joining us. Um, next time we have to definitely get together much sooner than this. Um, all the best to you, and we look forward to having you back soon, my friend. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. Appreciate it. And special thanks again for Nico DeGaio to, uh, for joining us on the show. Roberto, we have got a full, full day uh, and full week of matches to go over some really, really big ones, too. So I'm going to start out. Normally, we're recording this on a Sunday, and I normally don't give you matches for the day. But because it is uh, Decision Day in MLS, we're going to start out with today's matches. Uh, we've got a few teams trying to fight their way into the playoffs, so we're going to give you strictly those matches in the East in MLS. DC United and Cincinnati, with Cincinnati have a, a playoff spot on the line. Inter-Miami and Montreal, Inter-Miami also playing for a spot, and Orlando and Columbus, both teams trying to get into the playoffs. Those matches will be at 2.30 p.m., and then at 5 o'clock, we have Minnesota-Vancouver and RSL-Portland. Both, All four of those teams are fighting for spots, so those are going to be some big matches at 5 p.m. today. Definitely keep an eye out for MLS Decision Day, and then... Uh, the MLS playoffs, which will be starting later this week. Uh, check your lo local listings for those matches as they have not been determined yet. Then on Tuesday, we go to the back to the Champions League. PSG Benfica at 3 p.m. coming off the 1-1 draw between the two of them. And on Wednesday, Barcelona enter at 3 p.m. after a controversial match at the San Siro in leg one of that matchup. That is going to be Wednesday at 3 p.m. Thursday, Man United on Monillo, the, uh, the Cyprus, um, the Cypriot team. Uh, at 3 p.m., Omonia actually gave them a little bit of a run in a 3-2 match earlier this week. Then we go to Saturday in the Turin Derby, Torino-Juventus in Serie A, 12 p.m. Then Sunday, um, probably want to put a helmet on for this one. We have, we'll start out the day with just El Clasico, Real Madrid-Barcelona at 10.15 a.m. Then we go to England for Liverpool-Man City at 11.30 a.m. Bayern Freiburg in a matchup of two top four teams in the Bundesliga at 1.30. And then we're going to close with Le Classique, uh, PSG Marseille, 2.45 p.m. Uh, again, uh, another busy, busy Sunday in the world of club football. So, Mr. Rojas, I gave you a trivia question about Lionel Messi earlier in the show. Let me give it to you again. Uh, yep. Lionel Messi scored against his 40th different club in Champions League this week. Uh, I gave you two parts to this question. There are 11 teams that he's only scored one goal against, but three of those teams are in the top five leagues overall. Um, I'd like you to give me possibly those three teams, and I will give you hints on those because that's a tough question. And, and then I'd also like you to give me the top five teams that he scored the most goals against in Champions League. So let's start okay. with the top five first. Give me the top five teams. All right. Well, you said you're going to give me some hints on this one. Yeah, I'll give you some hints. Um, right now, I'm going to tell you that in the top five, there are two Premier League teams. Um, there's a German team, an Italian team, and a um, Scottish a Scottish team. Scottish, yeah, yes. But that's not top five. Uh, and top five, yep. Oh, top five, okay. Top five. Two English um, sides. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there's an Italian side, there's a German side, and uh, a Scottish side. All right. All right, so I'm gonna say Chelsea. Chelsea's not one of them. Although okay. I should pull up and see how many goals he scored against Chelsea, but uh, Chelsea's not one of them. All right, you, I'm you... gonna go for Arsenal. Arsenal is the top team. Nine goals he scored against Arsenal in Champions League. All right, I'm gonna go for Manchester City. Manchester City's number five. He scored seven goals against Manchester City. 
right. an Italian team. An Italian team. It's not Juventus. It I don't is think not it's Juventus. Milan? Milan is third on the list. Eight goals against Milan. German team. These last two are going to be very tricky, I think, for me. Well, one of the two is going to be very, very I, th- tricky. I think you can get the Scottish team. Yep. I think I've seen a stat here. Is it Celtic? It is Celtic. They're number two on the list, tied with Milan, eight goals. The German team is the hard one. This is the hard one, I think. It's not Bayern, is it? It is not Bayern. Okay. I don't think it's Dortmund. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. <laughs> is it Leverkusen? It is Leverkusen. Very yeah, well I, done, I sir. Because he, he scored five against them seven, in one game. He's had seven goals career against them. Now yeah, there's three. five in one game. <laughs> now there's, he scored 11. Uh, they're against 11 teams. He scored only one goal, but three of those teams are in the top five. There are two German sides, and there's an Italian side in there. Can you name those okay. those three teams? Okay. Um... You've already named one of them in, in your. I did. You know. In Italy or in Germany? In Germany. Dortmund. Dortmund's one of them. All right. Um. Now I need an Italy Italian team. Yeah. If you get the Italian team, I'll give you the last German team. Because uh, I think it's another tough question. So many teams that play. Is it Roma? It is not Roma. I'll give you one more shot. Uh, Napoli. Napoli is the team. He's only scored one goal against Napoli. The German side that he's only the other German side that he's only scored. Wait, let me one. guess. Let me, let me guess. Go for one. it. Okay. Uh, Schalke. No. Okay. And then I give up. Borussia Mönchengladbach. Ah, okay. Yeah, only one goal against Gladbach. So, top five teams that he scored against uh, of the forty: Arsenal. Um, I'm sorry, City. Manchester City is number five at seven goals. Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, seven goals as well. Milan, third place, eight goals. Celtic tied, um, I'm sorry, second place, tied with Celtic for eight goals as well. And the number one team that he loves scoring against is Arsenal, nine goals. And the three teams in the top five leagues that he's only managed one goal against, Borussia Dortmund, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and Napoli. That's your trivia answer. So without anything left on the plan, my friend, let me hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 369 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Nico DeGallo for joining us on the show. We're going to take next week off as we wrap up our World Cup podcast recordings, and we'll be releasing those to you in a couple weeks. However, you do have Champions League coming up, Europa League, uh, Conference League. You have MLS playoffs coming up as well. Check your local listings for all the matches that you'll catch over the next couple of weeks. So for episode 369 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Rita Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.